Good day, Warrior Nation. And listen, we are super excited here at the Wartime Leadership Podcast to be able to team with Liquid IV to bring to you a very special promo. My family, you know we live here in the South. And let me tell you, we know what hot looks like. Day in and day out, it is hot, 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 hot. It doesn't matter the season. It doesn't matter the time of year. It's going to be hot. And Liquid IV has become a staple in my family's every single day living. Uh, Recently, we received an order, and inside there was strawberry lemonade, which is a new flavor that Liquid IV just recently put out. And let me tell you, it easily became my favorite. Now, there are 12 delicious flavors to be able to choose from, all of which contain five essential vitamins, B3, B5, B6, B12, and vitamin C. Get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use the code WARTIME at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code WARTIME at liquidiv.com. Welcome to the Wartime Leadership Podcast. This week's guest, the Firewalker, David Albin, and now your host, Nathan Coy. Hey, let me tell you, the energy is already high. We don't have to worry about none of that going on tonight because, listen, folks, today we have such an amazing opportunity for what's about to unfold. Listen, whenever I got on this call, I was exhausted. I was worn out. My mind was gone for the day. But let me tell you, if you want a mental workout, Dave Albin is going to be the guy to give it to you today. (laughs) Welcome, Dave. How are you doing, sir? We're fired up. I love it. Yeah, Yeah, we're not not even going to do the warm-up questions anymore. Like, we're just going to go right into this. We've already been doing it. Hey, Dave, listen, man, thank you, first off, for taking the opportunity to talk. Because uh, what you're doing with, uh, you know, the the do-no-harm firewalk. Listen, folks, Dave is the number one firewalk expert in the entire world. The man's been doing it for years upon years. He's got it down to a science. But he's got it so good. He even threw in a glass walk just weird. for fun. I don't know. It's weird. I don't know. Hey, Dave, why don't you uh, why don't you take us through your background, what? where you were, how okay. you came what up happened, to this moment? How, you know? how, how do you how did you how did I get from <laughs> there, way over there, to way over here, man? I it blows my mind, Nathan. Um, <laughs> well, to start off, uh, I was you know I was born my parents, their generation. So let's talk about where I came from, right? Um, they saved the world. Yeah, let me say that again a little louder for the people in the back. <laughs> they saved the world. My parents did, and all my buddies, moms and dads, that's what they did. Because when my dad was over in Europe fighting the Nazis in World War II, my best friend's dad was in Pearl Harbor uh, fighting the Japanese. And, and so while uh, all the men were gone, right, saving the world, guess who was at home? A bunch of kick-ass moms. That's who they were. They did everything, man, yep. everything. My mom, my biological mother was known as Rosie the Riveter. She built airplanes, B-29 bombers. <laughs> I mean, you know, amazing. Um, and, and again, they built Jeeps and trucks and, and munitions and rifles and you name it. And they did everything. And so that's the parents that raised us. <laughs> so I kind of come at life mm-hmm. a little different than 
some of the people that may be listening to the audience, I don't know. Um, but here's what I do know. Two months before I was born, my biological father, who was a um, uh, pilot in Korea, Air Force, he, uh, we don't know what happened. Something happened, and to save his life, they had to put a plate in his head, Nathan. Well, it also took his life because it was so painful. He was telling mom all the time how much pain he was in. And two months before I was born, man, he turned to her one day and said, hey, I'm going to the grocery store. And we never saw or heard from him again. That's it. Out. Gone. Dad's gone. So when I was born, I was born to a single mom. Well, a single mom working in Hollywood, California. I was born at Queen of Angels in Hollywood. Mom was working at the Roosevelt Hotel as a server. She already had two boys. And then she was living in a, a one-bedroom apartment with her mother, with my grandmother and another cousin. So there were six of us living in a one-bedroom apartment. Well, by the time I was five years old, it was clear mom could not make ends meet. It was hard. And so she did a very loving thing, man. She, 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 she let her sister adopt me, who would, would have been my aunt and uncle. And so at, at the age of five, I leave Hollywood. I go to Long Beach, California. Bob Albin, my, now my dad, you know, by birth he's my uncle, but now he's my dad, so I've always known and called him his dad. Uh, you know, uh, career military, World War II, uh, uh, worked in the Pentagon, National Guard, regular Army, 40th Infantry Division, um, you know, highly decorated, um, full-on Army household, right? If you could be five minutes late, you can be five minutes early, right? You know, that, that kind of stuff, right? <laughs> That's right. You know, you go sit down at the table, forget to put a shirt on. That didn't last long. Uh, you know, so dad was that came from that. You know, that's who he was, man. And, and very disciplined, obviously. Well, right after they adopted me, this was at five, five years later, actually, up until that first point. Right. For the first five to six years, my life was spectacular. We went camping. We went to Yosemite, Big Bear, Arrowhead, Lake Havasu. We went all over the place. My dad had a little trailer, and he tugged it along behind a 57 Chevy, and, and we went camping in Big Bear and Arrowhead and all over the places in Southern Cal. Well, on the first day of summer in 1964, right, this is 11 years later, or when I'm 11, I'm, I'm sorry, yeah, I'm 11 years old. First day of summer, mom comes in. I'm in the TV room. She goes, David, come into the kitchen. We need to talk to you. And I'm thinking, cool, mom's going to tell me where we're going camping this summer, right? Who do I get to invite? I'm all excited because this is that's normally what they did. That was the pattern, right? So she sits down and she puts her arm on my arm and she's got tears in her eyes. And she looks at me and she goes, David, we need to tell you something really important. And that is we're not your parents. What? What, what the hell does that mean? That's like take me outside. I'm looking at the sky and it's blue. And they go, well, that's the sky, but it's not really blue. Well, it looks pretty damn blue to me. <laughs> you know, you, you've been my parents. I don't get it. And so then she went on. She goes, and by the way, your Aunt Dean, right? That's actually your mom. And I remember thinking, I don't even like her. Right? And you know why? And it's because every time she was around me, she wouldn't leave me alone. She was always touching me. She was always wanting to sit. She always she wanted to kiss me, hug me, to sit kiss next you. to me. Well, duh, I'm her son. I get it now, right? But back then, it was confusing to me. I didn't know. I just thought I had a very affectionate, you know, aunt. Now, by the way, she was never inappropriate. Never. So it was just always just so amped up. She was manic to begin with. So when she got around me, she was super manic. Well, bless her heart. So that's, that's, what, that's how that day started, the first day of summer, 1964. 
Um, I get asked, you know, sometimes, so what do you think prompted it? You know, why did they tell you then? I don't know. You know, dad was in the military. We were coming out of the Bay of Pigs, uh, the Cuban Missile Crisis. Dad was in the Pentagon. Kennedy had just been assassinated in November of 63, a few months earlier. So there was a lot of shit going down in the country, and Bob knew a lot about it. So I think he was pretty stressed out. And then having to tell me that, I think it set him over the edge. They stopped drinking when they adopted me at five. And so six years later, they started drinking. And that's when all hell broke loose. My whole life went, boop, heart turned to the right. <clears throat> and um, so one day they were gone. They went to the store. By the way, they did that back in those days, in the 50s and 60s. You left your kids at home. Nobody cared. <laughs> right? You, you just did. You know, if you wanted to go, if you had an 11-year-old kid, so what? You went to the store. You'd call your neighbor across the street and say, hey, Joanne, you know, Bob and I are going to the grocery store. David's at home. If he needs anything, he can knock on your door, right? Yeah, of course. Tell him to come over now. I'm cooking fried bologna sandwiches, you know? Whew. So um, when they left, I knew where the booze was. So I was already planning it. And they were hiding it in plain sight. And I went over to the captain, opened it up, took it out, Nathan, looked at it, poured it in a coffee cup, out even hesitating, went boom, brandy, half a cup. Stick a fork in me. I'm done. Right there on the spot. I am done. I'm an alcoholic. I never had a chance. It was like pouring rocket fuel in me. What kid at 11 wants to drink brandy? But, a man, it made me feel like nothing I had ever experienced. And all I knew is I liked that feeling. And I wanted more. And it made me numb. And I didn't have to deal with all the shit that was going on. And so I was just drinking along with them. And now both Bob and Pat were drinking. Bob was a real animal. He was not a nice human when he got drunk. Pat, she, you know, she never really stepped outside too far. But they'd get into it, right? And then it would be a all fight and screaming, yelling, throwing shit. I'm out. Get out. You didn't want to be inside when you were in the 60s anyway. If you were inside, you were being punished. You were outside with your friends doing shit, right? So, so, um, you know, by the time I got to high school, it got worse and worse and worse and worse because I got, you know, into drugs. Tried cocaine. Tried heroin. Tried barbiturates. Tried, you know, you name it. I was, I was trying it. And so I was running pretty hard. And by the time I was a junior in high school, they pulled me into the school, into the principal's office one day and said, Alvin, you're out. Oh, we're done. You're not, we're not letting you stay in school. So, wow. you know, I had an entrepreneurial spirit from the very beginning as a kid. My mom, Pat used to grow these beautiful flowers in the backyard and she would, she'd grow them and then she'd cut them and she'd arrange them for me. <clears throat> and she'd cut them at an angle, right? Not at the bottom, but at an angle to open up the surface space of the flower to get more water up into the flower, right? So it would live longer. The other thing she did is she'd put them in a bucket. She'd put a little bit of 7-Up in it or bubble up. And, and, the, and, the, and, the, and they would last twice as long as the florist. <laughs> My mom just knew, right? And so I would sell those on the street corner. I got a paper route. When you, become, when you get a paper route, you become an entrepreneur. Just because you're 11 years old, it doesn't matter. You got to do everything. You got to go get your papers, fold them, put them on your bike, go deliver them, go collect the money, turn the money into your den mother, <clears throat> the whole nine yards. So it, you're running a business when you're 11 and 12 years old. Um, I lived across the street from a golf course. I loved this. <laughs> Free money 
All you got to do is ride my Stingray bike around the perimeter of the golf course, find all the golf balls, right? Go back home, wash them, clean them up, go back to the golf course in the trash cans and get the boxes that the balls came in and then go arrange them, right? In, in, in those boxes and then go into the parking lot and sell them back to the golfers. Oh, yeah. I loved it. So... <laughs> I mean that, but that's the that's the entrepreneurial spirit. That's what you want oh, to like build knew- upon all of that. But now, how did the alcoholism right. that you were dealing with and the addiction? Well, it's you know it added to everything. It it forced me to make money because drinking and drugging ain't cheap. I can tell you that. Um, so I had good jobs. Uh, I learned how to make money. Some of it was legal. Some of it wasn't. But it's past the statute of limitations. So. <laughs> I'm, I'm still in the military, so right. I can't. Uh, yeah. That. So anyway, um, <laughs> I, um, you know, it, it all came to a head on June eighth of nineteen eighty-eight. I was in my third marriage. I married my childhood sweetheart. That lasted about two two weeks. Uh, I married the girl of my dreams. One of them, <laughs> uh, uh, Betsy. She was, and she had left Virginia and went to California to go find her her way in California. She found me. <laughs> And she took me home to Virginia, bless her heart, because it saved my life. <clears throat> Let's just say there were some people in California that weren't, didn't care if I lived or died. Let's put it that way. Um, and that it was probably better off that I was dead in their eyes. So that got me out of that. Then, you know, my drinking and drugging, she couldn't take it. So she left me and she should have. And then I met my third wife, who was a bartender, had three kids, married her. I'm thinking, wow, this is good. She's a bartender, so that helps. And, and then, of course, she has three kids. So maybe... That'll calm me down, and I'll become responsible. Yeah, you know, it looked good on paper. So on June 8, 1988, I woke up that morning, and that was it, Nathan. I said, I'm done, man. I can't do this anymore. I was in so much physical and emotional pain, and the only thing I could think of is, you know, lock and load, boom, right? And, and as I'm sitting there with the gun in my mouth, I'm getting ready to pull the trigger, and, I, and the thought is, you know what? If you pull that trigger, yeah, you die. But those three kids upstairs, you know what? They're going to pay for this, this thing of yours, your self-centeredness for the rest of their life. That's not fair. Find another way. Right? This is the dialogue that's going on in my head. And so, and we know, right? You commit suicide. Yeah, okay, great. You're dead, but you killed everybody around you too, your entire family. And they're the ones that got to suffer through all of that. And so I'm like, all right, all right, fine. You know, I'm like angry. And now I'm pissed off at them. Can't even kill myself. And the next thing I know, you know what? I had this thought, call Alcoholics Anonymous. Well, where the hell did that come from? Right? Because what I don't know who AA is. I've never been to AA. I don't know anybody in AA. And all of a sudden, there's a there's the thought in my head, call Alcoholics Anonymous. Where did, I mean, where did that thought come from? And back in the 80s, it really wasn't <clears throat> a no. big deal. And, Nobody and even no, knew who AA was, right? It's not in the media. You know what I mean? It doesn't have the exposure, right, that it had today. But there it was. So what did I do? I called. And I got an incredible woman on the phone. I, I affectionately refer to her as Madge in a very loving way. And the reason for that is because she talked like this. She was smoking two packs of non-paltos a day. And she was kicking my ass, bro. She was like, are you serious? Do you really want to get sober? Look, if I send somebody to get you, you better get in that car. I mean, she was reading me the riot act. But that was her job. She was the gatekeeper. (laughs) She was in charge of finding somebody 
She would call them a male to come to my house and pick me up and take me to an AA meeting. And she did. And she called a guy by the name of Lauren. And Lauren came, picked me up, and he got me to my first AA meeting that morning at 1230 in the morning or in the afternoon, early afternoon. And then I went to a 4.30, a 6.30, and an 8.30. And that dude right there stayed with me all day. Perfect stranger. Have no clue who uh, this guy is. Nothing. But yet, he showed enough of love to me that knew that I was sick enough that he wanted to get me into four meetings that day. Well, when I got there, <clears throat> the men, it's an all-men's group, they, they took a big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and they signed it. And, in the, and, and they wrote into the book, before you take that first drink, call one of us. And they put their first name and their last initial. They don't give, me, they don't give their full name, right? Anonymity. And then they gave their phone number. And so I went home that night with that. Well, the next morning, pretty rough night, I can tell you that, because I'm coming off alcohol, heroin, cocaine. This is not a, this is not a, a fun ride by any means. Uh, next morning, 8 o'clock in the morning, my phone rings, and it's John from AA. He's like, hey, Dave, it's John from AA. Good morning. How you feeling? And I'm like, how do you think I'm feeling? Dude, I want to punch a baby feel with a seal in the face. I want, I, I'm, I'm, I'm homicidal. You know, I'm, I love, I, maybe I'll kill you. <laughs> he's like, you know, he's like blowing it off, right? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear you. Yeah, no big deal. Okay, cool. Hey, let's do this. Let me come get you. Let's go to breakfast, and I'll take you to an, another meeting. Oh, okay. <laughs> right? I mean, this, that's AA, man. That's who they are. And without that, I wouldn't be here. I'd be dead. I know it. And so the love and the kindness and the joy and the spirituality and the experience and the knowledge and the wisdom of these men are now pouring into my life one day. And I'm living life one day at a time, which I had never done in my entire life. <clears throat> and so two days turned two days turned it well, you know oh look at that it's funny because what i wrote down before you even said anything about love was they showed you a I'd level of love it. you had never and seen. you'll probably never see it unless you go to alcoholics anonymous and i don't wish that on anybody but I'll, I'll tell you this you can go to open meetings you don't have to go in and you just go go listen uh, there's a story with tony robinson i and aa that we we him and i had a little uh, a little, yeah, we had a little bit of a disagreement on, on on AA and what you say when you go in there when you say, hey, my name's David, I'm an alcoholic. He didn't like the identity part of it. Well, I don't care what you like. <laughs> Until you drink a tractor trailer load full of vodka, Mr. Robbins, and, 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 and go to an AA meeting, uh, <clears throat> you know, naked as a jaybird, you probably don't know exactly what's going on, bro. So why don't you go to an AA meeting and get back to me? <laughs> and he did. He literally did, and he cried like a baby. It was very, very moving for him when he went to his first wow. AA meeting. And his beautiful wife, Sage, uh, her dad, Bill, is, is, is in AA. So that's, that's that connection. So anyway, you know, so two days turned into a week. A work week turned into a month. And when I got to a month, they gave me my medallion for one month, said one month continuous sobriety. Like I wanted two months, three months, six months, nine months, and then one year. And... And then, you know, let's last June 8th here a while back, I picked up a chip for 35 years. Well, here's what was happening. While I was getting sober and working the steps and learning, you know, how to live one day at a time uh, in AA, <clears throat> I had insomnia. So I was up late all the time. So there I am one, one night, man. 
it's three o'clock in the morning and I got the television and there he is, Mr. You know, Mr. Gunty Ranker, you know, infomercial King, Tony, young Tony Robbins selling his program called personal power. Now he'd already come out with a couple of really good books, awaken the giant within and, and personal power and, and so on. And so this was a 30 day program that you bought. <clears throat> and he said two things that got me. Nathan, here's what he said. One, the, that, that we'll do more to avoid pain than we will to gain pleasure. And I remember thinking, dude, that's why I drank and used drugs. I was chasing, I was chasing, you know, happiness and try to avoid pain. That was the whole idea. And then one day it forsake me, you know, it didn't do either anymore. And then, uh, the other thing Cone said was, um, the two driving forces in our life, how we make decisions is based on inspiration or desperation. And I remember thinking, oh, man, I'm pretty desperate. Where's my American Express card? Let's order that program, right? So I did. I ordered it. I think it was 169 bucks, a fortune back then in 1988. And uh, they sent it to me. And it came in this big package. And it came on these little white things called cassette tapes. Oh. Right. Some of your listeners go, what's that? <clears throat> Go to the Smithsonian. They're right next to the reel-to-reel and the 8-track tapes. Um, so I plugged them in, Nathan, and I started going through them, and I did what the man taught me to do, and guess what? It worked. I started losing weight. I started going to the working out. I, I started my own business. I, I gracefully got out of that, that bad marriage that I was in. And I started making a lot of changes in my life. Well, one of my buddies in AA one, was one day, he goes, what's going on with you, man? You, you're changing. You look different. You've lost, what, 30 pounds? I mean, dude, whatever, whatever you're doing, keep doing it. And I go, well, I'm listening to this guy by the name of Tony Robbins. And he goes, I know who Tony Robbins is. I bought his book. But I never read it. <laughs> I went, oh, well, figures. Okay. <clears throat> I go, well, I got the program. Look, man, I'll loan you the program. But you've got to promise me, you've got to commit that you'll go through it. Oh, I promise I'll do it. I swear to God. Okay. So I loaned it to him. That was in what? 88 or 89 ballpark. Well, seven years later, 1995, my buddy that I loaned the program to calls me on the phone and goes, Hey, did you know that Tony Robbins is coming to town? And I went, no, man, I had no clue. Is he really? He goes, yeah, man. He goes, come on. We gotta go. He's coming in this and this, this date. Are you available for that? And I looked and I went, yeah, actually I am. He goes, oh, sweet. I'll call you back. <laughs> Next thing you know, he calls me an hour later. And he goes, done. We pick up the tickets at will call. Here's what they told us to do. Number one, bring snacks. And the reason for that is you're going to spend a lot of time in the room. <laughs> what an understatement that is. Anybody that's ever been to a Tony Robbins seminar is laughing right now, I can tell you. <clears throat> um, and then they said, drink, drink a lot of water, hydrate. Got to keep yourself well hydrated. Bring water to the event. And then be ready to play full out and bring a great attitude. And I said, Dan, how much was the ticket? He said, $695. And I'm like, $700? This is 95 I mean, what's that worth today? $7.3 I mean, I don't know. You know, it's worth a lot more. That's all I know. Buy Bitcoin with it. 10, yeah. Um, so, um. And I said, yeah, well, don't worry. I spent six, 700 bucks. I'll play full out. And just as he's getting ready to get off the phone, he goes, oh, wait, hold it. Stop. 
I forgot to tell you the most important part. I'm like, okay, what? <laughs> he goes, we're going to be doing a fire walk. <laughs> That's kind of like what it sounded like, right? And, and the, my first thought was, hell no. Absolutely not. Are you out of your mind? Now, you know what's funny about that, Nathan? I don't know what a fire walk is. I have no idea. I've got no reference for it. I know nothing. Guess what? <clears throat> Didn't sound like anything I wanted to do. And fear was making all my decisions anyway. So why would I want to agree to do something like a fire walk? But I'm not going to say that to Dan, right? I, you know, I want him to think I'm wussing out. I'm just kind of, yeah, right. I'm, you know, I'm being subservient. You know, I'm going along with it. Yeah, sure, Dan. Yeah, fire walk. Great. All right, man. See you then. No. <laughs> no, we're not doing that. I want to see Tony, but we're not doing any fireworks, so I'll be fine. I'll just get there, and we'll figure something out. Well, you get to the event, and Tony takes the stage at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And the next thing I know, it's after midnight, 10 hours in a room, right? Bring snacks. You're going to starve to death. Um, and all of a sudden, you know, it's after midnight. All of a sudden, Tony goes, take your shoes off. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> I know, man. I know where you're going with that shit. Yeah, I ain't... I've, I've been hydrating all day. Yeah, I'm going right. to go dehydrate. Exactly, man. Uh, but I'm not falling for that, you know, right? Well, here's the problem. I'm in an event with 3,500 people. And guess what they're doing? They're taking their damn shoes off. And I'm like, people, no, don't, don't, you're falling for it, man. Don't go towards the light. I mean, right? And all of a sudden, you know, I'm like, oh, crap. So now my dilemma is, what am I going to do? Am I going to take my shoes off or not? Because if I don't, I'm walking out there with 3,500 people that have their shoes off, and I'm a guy that has my shoes on. What does that tell them? Yeah, we, we, we can't have that. <laughs> so just take your shoes off, Dave, relax, get out there, go hide in the back, you'll be fine. That's what I'm telling myself. Well, it gets worse. <laughs> just as he's got you getting ready to go out, 3,500 people in this giant parking lot to do this big fire walk, he gets everybody to start chanting. Oh, come on, Tony, really? Do we need to do that? You know, and so now everybody's walking out there going, yes, yes, yes. And I'm walking out there, not, I'm going, no, uh-uh, ain't going to happen. <laughs> well, when you get out there, it gets worse. <laughs> He's got African drummers. So now it's, yes, yes, dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun, right? I mean, what a dog and pony show. And over in the corner, there's a fire unlike anything you've ever seen in your life. It's, 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 probably, it's every bit of 30 feet wide, and it's 70 feet long. And it's been burning all day, 10 hours. Wow. And so they just keep throwing, you know, seasoned hardwood on top of it. And then at the end of the night, it renders. And you have this giant pile, probably eight feet tall, seven feet tall pile of coals, blue coals. Gorgeous. Well, here's, here's how you logistically set up a firewalk for 3,500 people. You take a wheelbarrow over there and you fill it up with coals. Then you bring it back and you put it in between two lanes of sod, of grass, right? We call it a fire lane. And a fire lane is about three feet wide, 18 feet long. And then the, what they do is take a flathead shovel, and they just sprinkle those coals across that grass, and that's what you walk on. Well, as you know, I'm, I'm having none of it. I'm in the back. I'm hiding out. I'm 100 yards away from where it's all going down. People are clapping. The drums are going. People are already fire walking. They're screaming. They're yelling. They're celebrating. 
I mean, you know, it almost sounds like they're in pain. They're screaming so loud because they're so exhilarated, right, from the experience. <clears throat> well, here's the interesting part. Tony knows that this is, without a doubt, one of the most life-changing experiences any human will ever go through, period, bar none. So he knows, and he also knows there's people like me. So he doesn't want you to miss it. So what's he do? He trains people to come find you. He knows we're back there. There's lots of us. I wasn't alone. I can tell you that. Well, so next thing I know, I'm hiding in the back. Here comes this dude. And he gets maybe 20 feet from me. I don't know. Something like that. And all of a sudden, he's looking at me. And he Tony must train him. Listen, when you make eyes contact with these people, don't take your eyes off. Because he won't take his eyes off. And so now he's staring at me, right? And he gets about 20 feet from me. And he kind of looks at me really funny, right? And he's like, hey, man, are, are you okay? And when we're not okay, what do we do? We lie. <laughs> I'm fine. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, we're all good here, man. Yeah, nothing to see here. Move along, dude. And all of a sudden, the guy goes, he goes, hey, man, are you going to walk tonight? And I'm like, absolutely not. Like, are you insane? Did you not get the memo? What are you talking about? And I said it to him with a high tone, right? So he knew I was, like, agitated. And he's like, hey, man, that's cool. Hey, no problem at all. We don't want you to do anything you don't want to do. And I remember, and I'm like, wow, okay, I like that. I like this guy. He's going to get me out of here. Well, here's where it gets really interesting. One stranger changed my life forever. Nathan, I don't know who this guy is to this day. I don't know. But without him, I don't work for Tony. I don't walk a half a million people. I don't create a world record. I'm, I'm, I don't go to work and do work for NASA and Notre Dame and, and Google and EO organization and Microsoft and Heineken. And, you know, and now I'm on your podcast without that dude, I'm nothing. Because the question he asked me was, well, wouldn't you at least like to watch? And I remember thinking, yeah, sure. Why not? There's no downside to that. Let's go watch these people burn their feet off. And he goes, well, Hey man, you can't see anything from here. You're hundred yards away. He said, just follow those people right there. <laughs> he had me <clears throat> he hooked me and so i did i just got in behind him and uh, remember i got 3,500 people in front of me i can't see anything again i can hear it the screaming the yelling the celebrating the drums the chanting the clapping it's all going on and so i'm kind of walking along and walking along all of a sudden next thing i know here comes this dude and he comes up to me and he whispers in my ear and he said he knows when you're ready when he says go, you go. And pew, this guy just disappeared into the night. And I'm like, what the hell was, where did that come from? I mean, that was just bizarre, right? Well, so I'm walking along, I'm trudging along. And again, I got thousands of people in front of me, can't see anything. But I get to a point where I can see at an angle. And I can see down through the crowd. And I get there and I'm looking and I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. They're doing it. They are walking on, walking on hot coals. I can see it. Every race, every creed, every color, and they're walking on fire. And now I'm mesmerized. It's like a car accident, right? Not supposed to look at it, right? Well, that's I, I can't take my eyes off it. And I'm staring and I'm staring. I'm moving along and kind of walking. All of a sudden, boom, guess where I am? <laughs> the, 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 I'm dazed at the front, front of the line. line. And so now I'm looking down and I'm looking at that lane, right? That fire lane, three feet wide, 18 feet long, full of coals, glowing bright red, the wheelbarrows there, I'm feeling the heat coming off. 
and I am freaking out. I'm staring into the abyss. The, the, the abyss. Uh, 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 my heart's going to jump out of my chest any second. It feels like it. And so as I'm staring there, there's a trainer standing right there. And the, all of a sudden, the trainer goes, eyes up. Oh, oh, shit. That's right. Okay. Got my eyes up. Yeah. Tony taught me that. Uh, uh, ten, 10 hours in the room. Keep your eyes up. Okay. I got it. I'm back on track now. So now my eyes are up, right? Because he tells you, don't stare at what you fear. Look at the celebration in. Don't ever stare at what you fear. doesn't work. <laughs> you got to think outside that fear box, right? You've got to turn fear into exhilaration. So how do you do that? Well, the trainer, all of a sudden, you know, he, after he said eyes up, he goes, squeeze your fist and say yes. And I went, yes. And he went, stronger. And I went, yes. Well, he could tell. I was leaving a lot on the table. I was not in a peak state, and he knew it. So he screamed at me. <laughs> so that creates the fight or flight. I threw my hands in the air. I screamed yes as loud as I could. And he goes, go, go, go. Whoo. I took off. Well, <laughs> here's the first thing I learned about firewalking. When you take that first step, Oh, you'll take the second, third, fourth, and fifth. I promise you. You are not going to go out there and stand on those coals and not move. <clears throat> well, Tony positions two guys at the end of the fire lane, and they grip arms like this, and they catch you. Hell, I'd have walked all the way to Albuquerque at that point. And they catch you, and they're like, stop, wipe your feet and celebrate. And so now I'm wiping my feet, and I'm celebrating. All these people are screaming and yelling. Now I'm in the celebration end, and it is a party. I mean, you're down there with people that are thinking, I can do anything, right? Where's Everest? Where's the bus? When, what time do we head there, there right? And, but all of a sudden, I realize I burnt myself really bad. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is intense. And I look at my foot, and it's dirty, but there's no burns. Oh, it's my other foot. Nope. It's dirty. There's no burns. And so now I'm standing there celebrating. I just walked on coals that were 1,000 degrees. I didn't burn myself, and I didn't have a clue how I did it. I don't know how I did it. In fact, you know, <laughs> what's interesting uh, about that is that, you know, we've all done it, right? You do something really cool, really interesting, and you do it, and you don't remember. You don't even know how you did it, but you just take it. You take, you know, you celebrate for it. You know, you take, like, you know, I take credit. Yep, that's me. That was this guy. I did that, right? Well, that's kind of how it was. Well, again, that night was exhilarating. Um, one of the most incredible nights of, of my life. Uh, I went home. For those that are going to ask, did I wash my feet? No, I did not. <laughs> I'm like, I may never wash my feet. Um, but here's where it gets really, really super interesting. And that is the next day. Now, remember, this is a four-day event. That was day one, the night of. We did the firewalk on day one. Now we're coming into day two. 3,500 people standing in the foyer, getting ready to go into the venue. And I have never seen anything like it in my life. It was so beautiful. It was gorgeous. Because people were getting along humanistically like we're supposed to. You know, people are just, we're high, man. We're high on each other on life and what we did last night. Our level of self-belief, our self-confidence, and our self-worth went boom, all together collectively. So people are laughing, and they're crying, they're talking, they're communicating about the firewalk, they're talking about their life, how excited and blessed they are to be there. Phenomenal. 
And again, I have never, ever, ever seen or witnessed or experienced anything like it other than a Tony Robbins seminar. So how did that take you going into like resilience, into into being a resilient individual? Because you've, you've gone from being Tony Robbins' right-hand man of Firewalk to you do your own company. And and as you've developed this, you have to have a sense yeah. of resilience in order to make it through because you you went from an alcoholic father and mother to being becoming an alcoholic yourself and really questioning your self worth oh, in that means to finding somebody at AA who started to invest into you to now all of a sudden you're walking the cold. The you know, it's like that definitive moment, right? Where fear had been controlling everything I ever did. And so here's what changed. What changed after the firewalk was like, okay, if I can walk on coals that are a thousand degrees, what else can I do? So fear, instead of it being, you know, forget everything and run, <laughs> right? Or well, there's other words you can use for it, uh, to face everything and rise. Or as we say in AA, false images appearing real. And so, you know, the, it was like, the, I there's a, there's a switch inside all of us that I call the switch of greatness. And when you flip that switch and you start going down that road, get ready because it's, it's, it's an incredible, incredible road to be on. And things will come to you unlike you can ever imagine because that's just the way it works. Because you got to be ready. You got to be open. You got to be prepared. You got to have your eyes open. So that's really what happened, what started to happen, right? Like, okay, so later in the event, I met one of Tony's trainers. Right, because now I'm intrigued, man. I'm loving this. I, the environment, everything about this is working for me. And so I met this guy by the, one of Tony's trainers, guy named Ted Macy, super sweet guy, big old handlebar mustache. I mean, he was a cool dude. His wife Mary, awesome people. They live in Atlanta. I love him, love him dearly. Uh, so I'm talking to Ted, and he's telling me about what's going on with the environment and all that. And I'm like, man, this must be. You get to come and be part of this all the time. He goes, yeah, like you know, eight, ten times a year. I'm like, oh, my God, how cool would that be? And he goes, well, wait. He's like, hey, see all those people standing over there with the black shirts? I said, yeah. He goes, see the pink writing on the back of the shirt? Yeah. He goes, they're volunteers, man. They're just like you. They came to an event. They did a firewalk. They want to come back. They want to serve. And so here's all you got to do. Go home. Call Robin's Research. Tell them you want a, a volunteer crew application. They'll send you one for sure. And just fill it out and send it back. Who knows? Answers always no if you don't ask. <laughs> and so I did. Well, hell, nine weeks later, I got a letter in the mail, man. And it said, Dave Albin, congratulations. You've been selected to crew with the Anthony Robbins Companies in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. My foot's in the door. And so when you fill out the application, you know, they look at it, right? There's all kinds of different jobs, right? Like in my application, at the time, I was living on a farm, Um uh, you know, I knew how to use tools and log splitters and right. So I knew all that stuff. Then I also had a military and a security background. So they actually ca called me in. Uh, I, I crewed like five or six times. And then like after that, they do, I guess they could trust you kind of a thing to show up and all that. Uh, Cause there's an attendance roster and all that. And they, and they put me on the security detail to help take care of Tony's celebrities. And almost simultaneously, they bought me out to the fire team to help with all the logistics because Tony's got 350, 400 volunteers for every event. He's got 70 people outside just doing the firewalk alone. 
uh, especially, you know, at times like this. So that was it, man. And uh, so, you know, I was a volunteer. So every time I did it before, I, it cost me two grand. Got to pay airfare, hotel, travel expense, all of it. So a couple thousand bucks. Well, once I became a, uh, uh, a subcontractor, they paid for that. They paid my airfare, they paid my hotel, and they gave me a per diem, which covered my, my food. Now, I'm not making any money, but I'm not losing any money either, right? So I'm still kind of in the black. I'm not in the red, which made my wife happy. <laughs> She's like, wait a minute. You're going to spend two grand, what, uh, six, seven, eight times a year? <laughs> you know, oh, oh, who the hell is this Tony Robbins guy, right? So I had to be very careful <laughs> with that part. So once I start getting paid, and then I got her to an event. And after she went through the event, we were in Fort Lauderdale and, and we were walking on the beach and she looked at me and I'll never forget. It was a beautiful, beautiful evening, full moon. And she goes, look, I get it. <laughs> All right. Wherever you want to go with this guy, you go, you, you know, I get it, which was a beautiful moment in our life because that was really her giving me permission to go get it done. Right? And so after that, then in 2003, right, this was all happening uh, in the uh, in the late 90s. Um, I was a subcontractor for a few years. And then 2003, Tony asked me to take over all of the fire, always firewalks globally. And because I homeschooled my kids, he uh, graciously said, you know, I'll even pay for your kids to travel with us. So that was a beautiful moment. So my kids, right, their very first event, what a horrible place to have to go, this place called Sydney, Australia. Um, and so they, you know, they were six years old. My daughter was six first time she firewalked with Tony and I. Uh, my daughter, yeah, six. My son was nine. Uh, we did that in New York. And so things started moving along there, man. My life was spectacular, traveling all over the world with Tony Robbins and all the people in the proximity and, you know, all the entertainers and the musicians and the professional athletes and the Olympians. I mean, the producers, directors. I mean, Tony brings them all in. So I got to hang and be part of that around that synergy. 2005, we went to London. We set the world record. We firewalked 12,300 people. Uh, now, I say world record. I want to be full disclosure here, Nathan. Kenneth's book was not there. Not there. Um, um, but to my knowledge, no one's ever done a firewalk for 12,000 people in the world, unless it was another Tony Robbins seminar, maybe. <clears throat> so that happened in 05. And then 014, I'm cruising down the road. My phone rings, and it's this company called Google. Hmm, what can I do for you guys? Well, you know, are you the Dave Albin does the firewalks for Tony Robbins? Yeah, I am. They said, well, you know, if you're not under any non-compete or, or, or contractual obligation, we'd like to talk to you about hiring. <laughs> I'm like, well, you know, homeboy's a free agent, so, uh, you know, what you got going? <clears throat> and that was it. That was really, that was my breakthrough, break into the corporate team building, Google told me, they said straight up, they said, there is a huge marketplace for you because nobody does what you do. You create life-changing paradigm shift experiences. And that's what corporate America wants. You know, take them golfing. Yeah, so what? Yeah, take them fishing. Who cares? Take them on a scavenger hunt. Who gives a shit? Right? Nobody. They, they what? They need it. It's not right. just necessarily. Well, they know there's going to be change, right? And we we already know, right? Yeah. Most CEOs, business owners, what doesn't challenge you doesn't change you. You don't become a Navy SEAL by sitting at sitting at a desk. <laughs> let's go on the night swim, boys, off the coast of San Onofre, and let's go swell with. There's 12 different sharks out there that can eat you, uh, and it's dark, and it's three o'clock in the morning. 
So let that play with your head. Yeah, right. Yeah, let's do that. So anyway, that so once I got there, and then you know after Google, I went to NASA, and then we went to Notre Dame and Virginia Tech and Remax and Chick Fil A and Heineken and the Entrepreneur Organization, the YMCA. I mean, it just junior high schools, high schools. I mean, it was everybody. I was doing kids all the way to Google, right, and everything in between. And so Firewalk Productions was born in 2014, and you know, excuse the pun, but we've been going hot and heavy ever since. I've been been waiting for that that one, man. (laughs) (laughs) So with the Firewalk, with everything that's been going on, uh, you're now diverting some of your attention to the veteran community, which I really, really love. And this this story. Well, because of podcast. You know, you know. Yeah, exactly. Of course, you know, you're getting ready to, you know, walk away. Well, not walk away, but you retire from your 22 year career in the Air Force. And kudos to you. And thank you for your service, Nathan. Um, I podcasting, man, that's what did it. Uh, I was on a podcast a few months ago, a couple of months ago, and I was with Natalia Earl. And she's a really well-known podcaster, very successful show. She's won all kinds of awards. Well, we're talking about a bunch of stuff after the show. And we were talking about, you know, veterans. And she goes, man, I would, I'd really like to do a firewalk for the veterans. And I go, well, what's going on? She goes, well, we've got this gala that we're trying to put together down here in South Florida. And we got about 1,200 veterans. We've got 400 Marines. And then we've got about another 800 mixture of all, all the service branches. And she goes, man, I, she goes, what do you charge? And I told her, and, and she said, uh, well, and I said, so, I mean, you know, is it something you want to do? I agree. It would be a phenomenal experience. She goes, well, Dave, we really can't afford you. And I go, yeah, well, I get that. But well, well let me ask you something. I mean, you were going to do a gala, right? Yeah. Were you going to have food? Yeah. Entertainment? Yeah. So you, you were getting sponsors and people to donate money? She goes, oh, yeah. We get people to donate hundreds of thousands of dollars to help support this. And I go, okay, well, then what if we did this? If you'll pay for my team, because I'm not going to ask them to do it for free. I'm just not. I can't do that. Uh, you know, they take time off work and all that. And they go, no, that's fine. And I go, and you pay for all the supplies. And you pay from, you pay to get me down there, put me in an Airbnb, you know, give me, take me to an ice cream store and uh, pay for all the supplies. I'll go do it. And she's like, no, you won't. I said, yes, I will. <laughs> Are you kidding me? And so what I didn't know that that day after talking to her, when I went to bed that night, in the middle of the night, I woke up and I, and I went, oh, my God, this is it. And in my head, it's saying the do no harm firewall. Okay, so it, it, most of Americans know that there's 22 vets a day that are committing suicide. Okay. Why? Help. What? The government's not doing anything. We know that. So it's got to be us. It's got to be the private sector. Well, see, here's, and I learned something because I was talking to them about that later. And they go, and, and, and Angelo, one of the guys that's, you know, he's an ex-Marine and he's part of this. And he goes, Dave, that's not an accurate number. That's only if they leave a note. There's lots of them that are killing themselves. And there's no note. It's closer to 40. 40 men and women died today. And I need, and we're going to get to them. Because so, so what we're going to do with that, right, is, and we talked pre-show, and that was <clears throat> we'll create the Do No Harm Firewalk. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to create a rite of passage firewalk. I'm going to have them stand up. They're going to put their right hand in the air, and they're going to take an oath. And that oath is to do no harm to themselves or anyone else. And you're going to have to promise to go recruit. 
and bring your other fellow veterans into this community. You're going to have to make some other promises too. Like you're going to have to call one a day, five days a week, and reach out to your fellow vets and start that communication and get that going back and forth so they're not sitting there for three or four days or a week or whatever, two weeks, and they slip into depression and loneliness. Their purpose goes away and boom, they blow their head off. We've got to interrupt that pattern. So this will help with that. They're going to get little necklaces, right, to, to wear. They're going to get a medallion that talks about it so they can have it in their hand. I'm going to, just like AA, like one of my sponsors did, he said, hey, take that 30-day chip, put it in your hand, squeeze it as hard as you can. I'm like, okay, that hurts. He goes, yeah, that's exactly what I wanted to do. Take out that coin, squeeze it, and remember what that pain's like. So um, I'm working with a really cool company. I love these guys are like my major, like my mom and dad, right? It's the Zippo Lighter Company. Uh, they made this little lighter for me with my logo on it. Zippo's going to make some lighters for us that'll, that'll do no harm. So, you know, we're going to be doing a whole bunch of things and bringing in all kinds of people, all kinds of companies, all veteran owned and operated. And let's go out and see how many lives we can save by creating the do no harm yeah. part. And, and there's that aspect of even like, you know, the spiritual yeah. side, you know, in in the mil in the Air Force specifically, we talk about the cat. Yeah. Right. And it's it's the resiliency factor of physical, mental, social and spiritual. Uh, we're really good at three of them. We're not good at the spiritual side of trying to explain that to people and what that looks to walk through. So even hitting those pillars throughout the entirety of the course of uh, the do no harm campaign is going to be amazing because that's going to start to drive the purpose for individuals. And, and you hit the nail on the head when you said it's about the yep. purpose, maintaining yep. a purpose of an individual. Well, we so, know, we, we know it works, yeah. right? What do they do? They give dogs to vets all the time. Why? Because now they got someone to take care of. There's purpose there. Boom. They won't kill themselves as long as the dog's alive. It's right there. The evidence is clear. It's like, this has been, this has been, you know, right there in front of our faces the whole time. Um, and so, you know, with that, because a couple things I'm going to get in their head, right? Because I'm going to tell them, look, the two most important times in your life is the moment you were born and the moment you figure out why. And this firewalk, you're going to figure out why. You're not leaving here tonight without knowing why. It's not going to happen. Because, you know, I'm going to do the board break with them too, right? So that's a martial arts thing, right? They're going to break a board. So I'm going to have them write something on the front of the board I want them to move towards. Well, I'll write something on the back of the board to move away from. I'm going to have them write anybody's name on the board that they need to reconcile with. So if you're in conflict with somebody, right, and there's forgiveness and reconciliation, it ends tonight. Put their name on the board. And then to create the rite of passage, right, where it really gets psychological, and we'll start to learn why firewalking's been around for a 1,000 years, used by cultures all over the world, the Fahitians, the people of India, the Hawaiians, the Polynesians, the Native American Indians, the Indo-Europeans. What do you think these guys were doing? Just, you know, having some kind of, no, man, it's connectivity, it's tribal, it's ancestral. And so that's what we're, that's what we're going to create uh, with that. And then we'll have them write anybody's name on the board that they've lost. So anybody or any, any fellow, you know, man or woman that they were service with that they've lost, now they can put their name on the board and bring that and bring a closure to it. Right. So they'll break the board. We'll walk them in a circle. They'll firewalk. They'll come back. We'll put the boards in the fire. We'll get it all on video. We'll get pictures so they'll have it and they can watch it and, and, and then, you know, go home and start recruiting. 
and start making your phone calls and start doing what we need to do, uh, what we've been called to do. Because the other thing one of my mentors told me, he said, you know, Dave, every human on earth has two lives. And the second one starts when we realize we have only one. So, right, so we're going to reach out to some really cool people to help with this. You know, Gary Sinise, you know, Lieutenant Diane, Forrest Gump, they got that freaking guy. Jeez, what a peach of a human being he is. Everything he's done. Everything he is so done. all in, it's man. Amazing. He has changed so many lives with veterans and, and first responders. I mean, what a peach of a guy. Um, and, you know, there's others as well. So we're going to go after all of them. And we're going to go after every company that's veteran-owned to see and look for sponsorship and do the whole thing. And you just wait because wartime leadership is, is somehow, some way we're going to find our way cool. into this as well because it's there's too much of a mission yeah. that is focused here. Uh, so fire, firewalkadventures.com is the website where people can go get more information, figure out some, some good – listen, Dave. I am so blessed oh, that you took the time this evening to, to take this conversation because it's it's one of importance for me yeah. uh, as we yeah, talked sir. beforehand. Uh, and just to see what you have transitioned from life, from from past life to what you currently do yeah, is, is is bigger than you and I can ever possibly imagine. Thank you. So I am, I am blessed by you for taking the time. So uh, – we're going to go ahead and bring this one to an end because I could go yeah. on and on. I'll come back, bro. And on well, I'll come back. and on. <laughs> yeah, oh, please absolutely. do. Because I, I we're just yeah. getting into this conversation absolutely. right now. Uh, but, Dave, thank yeah. you again for yeah. taking the time to sit down with me. I know Jeff, my producer, really wanted to be on this call, uh, but unfortunately he was busy with well, – I say unfortunately. He had some family okay. affairs to yeah. tonight. So, um, but, again, thank you. My pleasure, bro. Thanks for having me. Hey, uh, we're blessed by the entire team here at the Wartime Leadership Podcast. Hey, Warriors, have you ever wanted to start your own podcast? Now it's easier than ever with Zencaster. Zencaster is the quickest and easiest no-fuss solution to your podcast needs. All you have to do is log in using your browser, and you're off to the races. You could start recording high-quality podcasts right away. Record studio-quality audio and video, video up to 4K with you and your guests. Zencaster is an all-in-one, one-stop shop. When we first got started, we had to use several platforms. Now with Zencaster, that's a thing of the past. Now, folks, here's the real deal. Go to Zencaster.com slash pricing and use my code WARTIME and you'll get 30% off your first month of any Zencaster paid plan. That's right, 30% off. I want you to have the same easy experience I do for all my podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. <laughs>